Let's get some scripture here. Uh, this will help us because uh, this is where it's got to start. If you're going to ever put a family that's been fragmented, uh, say you've been offended, you've got spouses that are not getting along, and there's so many things that we could talk about today on, on what uh, went wrong, maybe an extramarital affair, uh, maybe alcohol, maybe drugs, uh, uh, maybe pornography, or a whole list of other things that has brought division into that home where a, a spouse is now left with hurt feelings. And, and, and she's been crushed, and her hopes and dreams uh, are, are crushed. And, and yes, just because you're still together doesn't mean that you're not fragmented. And you say, well, what do we do now? I just don't want a divorce. I'd like to work it out. Well, this is where it's got to start. And again, we're going back to the Word of God. This is our guidebook. This is the guidelines. God's going to give you a guideline. Remember last week we preached on, on how to use uh, uh, your discerning meter that God has given you and that God has given us some installation detailed drawings that we can draw from and say this how do I discern if I got a spouse that's really that's truly sorry for what they've done uh, and how we've preached it in the in the last 50 years as well you just got to forgive and we're on that thing just forgive just forgive and so there you have you have a wife who's sitting there who's been offended who's been cheated on who's either been abused and the preacher sitting there telling him, yeah you just got to forgive that and live with it no that's not how it is that's not right it's not right that's not how it is uh, I will tell you this it takes two people to reconcile a relationship you can't not have one person at a hundred percent and the other person somewhere around 25 percent it will not work it will not work and you're just prolonging the inevitable and you say, okay, so what happens? Uh, we, we see uh, we got a problem. And so uh, the title of my message is, Why Sorry Doesn't Cut It. You ever said sorry to somebody and it just, they, they didn't buy it. Like, nah, nah. Uh, because they've been done wrong so many times. And then maybe the other person says, well, the Bible says that, you know, uh, you need to forgive me 490 times. Just, I'm sorry. So just get over it. Uh, uh, let's move on. Let's forget the past. And, and everybody preaches that today. Just forgive, forgive, release it, forgive. Uh, what they fail to tell you about that passage of Scripture, which referring to Matthew chapter 18, is before Peter asked the question, how many times am I forgive my brother, you forget that about five or six verses before that, the Lord teaches us, well, I have to turn over there before I even get 2 Corinthians, I'm preaching. So Matthew chapter 18, here's what the Lord had to say, and he tells them, here's how you take care of problems, whether it's in the church, and this message will apply to the church, and it'll apply to your lives, it'll apply to your homes, and it'll apply to your friends. He says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, you go and tell him his fault. You confront it. So if someone offends you, if something they've done, maybe, maybe you're going to find out they didn't realize they were offending you. Uh, and so the, this is going to be an easy one to solve. If thy brother offend him, you go against, you go to him and you tell him. You don't tell somebody else. You don't run over here and start your woman's committee and, and, and trash that person. You go to that person one-on-one. -on -one. You say, okay, I've done that. It didn't work. Well, let's move on. Let's, this is the guideline. This is the policy. This is how God said you handle it and then he says 
You tell him his fault. Between thee and him alone, do it privately. You might find out they didn't, they didn't intend any malice. You can get that right. He said, but if he shall hear thee, thou, sh thou hast gained thy brother. Amen. But if he will not hear thee, you say, no, I don't think I did anything wrong. No, absolutely not. So what do I do now, preacher? It's time to get somebody else involved. Then take with thee one or two more, that's witnesses, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So you go back to them. Now this works in a church setting. You say, how do you know that? Let's read on. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. For if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. You can't reconcile it. Did you catch it? That's God's policy. That's God's order. And so when you come to me and you got a problem, the first question I'm going to ask you, did you try to take care of it one-on-one? -on -one? And then at the second level, you need to get a counselor involved because maybe you're not seeing it right. And that's why people don't want to get a counselor or go to their pastor because they don't want to take the chance on them. They might be wrong. And so they would rather sit in bitterness and anger about the situation because they don't want to reconcile it. But then Peter, and that's just the context, and then Peter says, uh, he says, well, well, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, well, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Peter said, what's the guideline on this, Lord? Is it seven times I'm to do that? So the context is you confront the person that offended you. And if you get it right, how many times do I let this process go on? And then Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Oh, see, that's your context. The context ain't, well, you just forgive it. You know, just move on. That's not how God looks at it. See, how does God look at it? If God taught, if God, God is not going to expect more out of you and me than he is going to do. If that were the case, then everybody in the world would be saved today after the cross. God, just forgive them. Doesn't matter whether they want forgiveness or God. Not God, just forgive them. Everybody's saved. Then we would have no, no need to preach the gospel, but yet here we are preaching the gospel. We need, have no need for the Bible. Everybody's been forgiven. Nope, God don't work that way. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Well, if, if, if we just forgive, then we wouldn't have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, go on visitation. You know, no need for church this morning. You're just forgiven. Doesn't matter. You would never get chastened by God. And the Bible says he chasteneth every son whom he loveth. You know, there would be no devil. Why? He's forgiven. But there is, ain't there? There'd be no evil. It's just forgiven. That's the way it's generally preached today. That is not Bible. It's not Bible. That's not how it works. There's too many verses in the Bible that says, if we confess our sins. So now, God's already come to us and said, you've offended me. That's the job of the preacher. The job of this preacher I don't care about the other preachers, and there's other preachers who do good jobs. But I'm going to confront you with the Word of God. 
and where your life does not line up with the Word of God, I'm going to call it out. And then now it's up to you to confess to God. That means you're going to agree with God. And you're going to repent. And then God says, if, you, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's always willing to forgive. But there's a process there. Same way in a marriage and in a relationship. I know, if, it's, if we're talking about little offenses, I get it. Sometimes you can say, I'm sorry, and, and go on. I'm talking about these bigger offenses. And, and you're trying to discern that. You're trying to, like, okay, when do I pull the trigger on this and say, enough's enough? The Bible's going to give you a guideline on that. Here's how you know if the person you're working with is truly sorry and truly willing and able to work it out. And you need to stick with God's guideline. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, and it's a shame i got to qualify this stuff. But if you're sitting in a physically abusive situation, I would I'd just go ahead and say, no, that needs to have a separation. That individual needs some help. There's, there's a thing called the Stockholm Syndrome. When an individual begins to be abused... They think they've done something to deserve the abuse. And then they begin to feel, oh, I just can't live without this person. He's okay. I'll try to change him. I love him. There's something wrong with that. And it is definitely a sickness. And it's something that can develop that happens in the mind. You need to be careful about that. So if you're sitting in an abusive situation, only you know that situation. And you're like, well, I don't know if I'm being abused or not. Then ask somebody. That's not emotionally attached. You got somebody kicking doors down and beating holes in the wall. That's straight up abuse. And it's not right. It's not to be tolerated. You got somebody mentally playing mind games with you. They're up one day. They like you one day and hate your guts the next. And they begin to manipulate you. And if you don't do what they want you to do, they turn all hell loose on you. That's a problem. That's a problem, and it's called mental abuse. And that mental abuse, that emotional abuse, is worse than the physical abuse. It leaves laster, longer-lasting scars that you might not ever recover from. Now let's read a text here. Let's see what God says. Verse 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent. Yeah, sometimes I do that. I get home and I think I might have preached a little too hard. And I feel sorry about that. But I know I've done right. But you just feel that way. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And he says, For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. For I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repent. You say, what's he talking about? Well, there was an issue that happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where you had these church members... And you had this son who uh, uh, started living with his dad's wife, which would have been his stepmom. And that, that's a gross sin. It's the sin of fornication. It's not to be tolerated. And, and see, we got this loose thing in our mind. We think, well, if I just live together, it's okay. It's not okay. It's a sin. So straight up. Living together, shacked up is a sin. And the Lord says that thing needs to be dealt with because that'll spill out over into the church. And what was happening there is they were bragging about it. Well, we got grace. Ain't that cute? 
It's not cute. And the Apostle Paul got in on that. He says, I'm ashamed of you. He says, you need to have a church meeting and you need to deal with that person. If they're not going to repent, then you set them out of the church. Now that's strong, ain't it? That's what he said to do. And he sent that epistle. And it sobered them up. And they're like, whoa. But that boy got that thing right. And so now he's trying to come back to the church. He, got, he repented of the sin. He's like, okay, it's wrong. And, and the Bible says Gentiles are prone to do that stuff. We're not Jews. And so uh, that's why uh, the Bible says that Gentiles are dogs. We live like dogs. And we shouldn't. And so, but he got it right. He got repented. He repented and he, and he sought the church for forgiveness. And so the church got back with Paul and said, what do we do? Because they turned that man over to the, the devil for the destruction of the flesh. He wasn't going to get the thing right. And so Paul says, here's what you do. You need to restore him. He, he repented. You need to forgive him. But this is how you're going to tell if he's really got it right. For godly sorrow... Now, there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. There it is. To salvation. Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. There you go. A fake sorry says, oh, I'm sorry, and then keeps right on doing what they've been doing. That's not sorry. That's the world sorry. They're just sorry they got caught. That's the wrong sorry. You're not looking for that. He says when a person is genuinely sorry, godly sorrow, they're going to repent. That repent means they're going to change their mind, which results in a change of action. And now he's going to give us the process that happens. It starts in the mind. And he says, For behold this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed, after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So we're talking about how do we clear a matter up. Whether it's in the church or it's in our home. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong. That's that man, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Nor for, for his cause that suffered wrong, but that been the Father. But that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. He was afraid he was going to get mad. You know, start another church. That's what goes on around here when the preacher calls things out and confronts it. People just get mad and they got a plastic credit and they got enough money to just go right down the road, start them a, rent them a building, start them another church. This place, if you haven't noticed, is full of that. It's been one of the problems down here. And he says, For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even... So our boasting which I made before Titus has found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant towards you whilst he remember 
the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you all things. He says, you receive him. You restore him back. Now let's pray and let's get into this. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you. Now, Lord, help us today. Help us to get some help. To our, uh, our eyes to be open to the truth. Help us to be able to put fragmented families together, but understanding it's going to take 100% on both parties. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let me give you this by way of introduction. When one sense of right has been violated, that person will experience anger. He or she will feel wronged and resentful at the person who has violated their trust. The wrongful act will be a barrier between the two people and the relationship is fragmented. This could go on right in your own home. Uh, 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 a lot of times in counseling I find out uh, that something that might have happened five or six years ago that was never dealt with has been sitting there on the back burner like a straw and they're piling up and there's eventually going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back. It's got to be dealt with. You're dealing with an individual who's got hurt feelings and they just try to put it on the back burner. When the wrong is not made right, this creates a divide, a gulf, a tear between the two people. This separation continues to widen each time a wrong is not dealt with properly until finally there is a wrong that breaks the camel's back and all hope is lost. The big D, divorce. And all because there was a little fracture. If you've ever worked with metal, and I've been watching that forged in fire again, and those guys try to temper those blades, and, and they hear that ting, ting, and there's cracks in the blade, and you really don't know what's going to happen, but that's a fracture, that's a separation, that's a fragmentation, and that blade will only take so much of that, and now it's been weakened when really it needs to be fixed, and sometimes they'll go in, they'll begin to weld that and, and get that together, or sometimes they can grind that, but they have to deal with it, or that blade will fail somewhere down the road if the wrong is not dealt with. To offend means to commit a crime. And that's part of our problem. We think when we offend somebody and go out of our way to offend, and that's easy to do when you've been living together in marriage. I've got to qualify that. <laughs> For more than a couple years, you know, if the honeymoon wears off. You know, you, uh, uh, it's easy because there's an old, there's an old uh, phrase my pappy used to say, familiarity breeds contempt. What might not used to annoy you about your significant other after 30 years begins to annoy you. Familiarity <laughs> breeds contempt. I'm always picking on Jen. She's the only person. That's my. That's my pard. <laughs> that's that's my wife. You know, uh, and, and 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 so things that didn't bother me 30 years ago, they might bother me now. You all have experienced this, and so you got to be careful with that. I'm not talking about that, but to offend means to commit a crime. 
Maybe you're having a bad day and you lash out at your spouse. A lot of times that happens. You have a bad day at work, have something not go right, transmission's going out, something's wrong, somebody quits, and, and, and you found out that the money you thought you had, you didn't have, and all of a sudden, your little wife, she comes home, she's home, she's cooked you a little supper, and you just don't like how that meatloaf was put together, and all of a sudden, you just lash out. That's, well, <laughs> I don't do that very often. But stuff like that goes on, and it's a crime, it's an offense, it's got to be dealt with. The Bible says this, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like bars of a castle. That's why sorry doesn't cut it. All of a sudden they go to that stronghold. They're, they're hurt, they're offended, and it's like going against a city that's walled and well defended, and their contention, their hurt, is actually bars over the door. You ever got the silent treatment? Yeah. Hard to overcome that. Say, so, well, I really want to make it right. When a person, namely a spouse, has been offended or hurt, Ignoring it will not help the situation. I assure you, ignoring it's not going to help. This does not mend the fracture. Telling a spouse to merely get over it does not fix the problem. It's not going to fix it. Trying to ignore it. To say, I'm sorry, while continuing to hurt does not fix it. Sorry is an emotion, it's a feeling. You can feel sorry, genuinely sorry. You can shed tears. Crying is not repentance. Feeling sorrow is not repentance. How do you know that? Look back at our guidebook. We're looking at the guideline. I'm not twisting. Here's our policy. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Sorrow is not repentance. Sorrow is an emotion. Feeling sorry, you can have that. You can feel sorry but not fix the problem. Judas, remember Judas? He betrayed the Lord. He felt sorry. He was sorry he betrayed the Lord. But he did not repent of his wrongdoing. Remember Peter? Peter was sorry that he denied the Lord. And he repented of his wrong, remember? He mended the fracture that he had made when confronted by Jesus. Remember after the resurrection? The Lord had bread and fish on the fire. And he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? He did that three times. Peter, the first time that happened, I could see old Peter. Yeah, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said, then feed my lambs. A little while later, he said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter loved the fish. That's what he was doing when the Lord found him. And he said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. But then that third time, Peter was getting it. What was going on? The Lord was mending that fracture. If Peter did not get this right, God was not going to be able to use him. 
And he says, Peter, by now, is really hurting. Because as the Lord was reaching him the bread, there was the nail pierces, piercings in his hand. The Lord was serving them. Could you see, Peter? That's the Savior that died for you, and you denied him. And that third time, Peter kind of broke down. Hey, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love you. He said, and you feed my sheep. So best because he went out and wept bitter tears wasn't repentance. When the Lord confronted him, he got that thing right and repented of it. And Peter was stronger because of it. There is no real relationship that is not without conflict if you have a real one. You cannot put two people that think differently, that act differently, and never have a conflict of opinion or a different vision on which way you should go or what decision you should make. And so sometimes there is conflicts, and I'm not really talking about them. I'm talking about when there's been a real fracture made. What do we do, preacher? Well, as I said, the Bible makes a difference between worldly sorry and godly sorry. The worldly sorrow has tears has the feeling, but it produces regret later on and bitterness. You ever seen that out of somebody? They had to say they were sorry, and then later they're mad because they had to say they were sorry. And it begins to get into deep-rooted bitterness. That's because they were not sorry after a godly sort. Generally, you know what path that person's on when they say, Well, I'm sorry, but... No, no buts. If you've committed the wrong, there's no but. I'm sorry I did what I did, but if you wouldn't have done what you did, no. Stop it. You're not owning up and taking responsibility for what you've done. Two wrongs don't make a right. You, as an adult, you need to do some adulting and say, ah, no, I'm wrong. And I need to fix this. world don't do it that way. A godly sorrow leads to repentance, a change of the mind. Now how do we make things right with our spouse? God here has given us a blueprint to know when someone is truly sorry and wants to make amends. I want you to get this if you don't get anything else. Real forgiveness and reconciliation is a two-party transaction. Forgiveness is a two-party transaction, folks, biblically speaking. And is enabled by an apology. This is how God works and would not expect any more from us. So the scripture is clear that forgiveness is a two-party process. That's why people are not just automatically saved now that Christ shed his blood. He said he died for the sins of the whole world. Why ain't the whole world saved? <laughs> because forgiveness is a two-party transaction. That's why. That's why. So number one, verse 11. Let's look and see what happens. How do I know this person's truly sorry and that we can reconcile this thing, that we can fix this fracture? For behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what 
carefulness. You see this godly sorrow? That's called expressing regret. Now, I need to stop right here and jump ahead. I need to give this to you. And let me see. I have it. I put it down here, and I need it. I've got a lot of things going through my mind, but I want to give this to you. And it's called the apology languages. I'm not seeing it, so I'm going to go on. I'll give it to you as I come to it in the message. You've heard me preach on the five love languages, have you not? There's also five apology languages. Every human being has five apology languages, and they're going to have a particular dialect or a language that they respond the best to. And just expressing regret or saying, I'm sorry, generally doesn't work. It is one of the apology languages. With me, I don't want to hear I'm sorry. What I want to hear is you're wrong. And I also want to know my other apology language is, now how are you going to make it right? So that's my two main apology languages. Everybody has one of the five apology languages. And husbands and wives, you need to know what your spouse's apology language is. That could be why you're not getting nowhere with them. You're not speaking their language. Your primary apology language might be, I'm sorry. That might not be your spouse's apology language. It's not God's apology language. It's acts of service. You're going to make the thing right. You're going to have repentance and turn from. Express in regret, godly sorrow. It's the emotional change of the mind. The, the, the hard or uncaring on how you feel, mind stops. You know, you've heard that. Well, I don't care what you say. I don't care how you feel. That's not expressing regrets. And the Bible says godly sorrow. That's expressing regret. I'm sorry. But then accepting responsibility. Look with me in verse 11. What carefulness. You see that? What carefulness. As soon as this, this is brought up that you have been offended and you've went to the offending party, they should immediately express regret. Number two, they should begin to act on carefulness. What carefulness, the Bible says. That means accepting responsibility. This is the part where you watch what you say. That word, I don't care how you feel, shouldn't come out of your mouth. That's not careful. You begin to not want to cause more damage. You don't want to make the fracture bigger. This is when you admit you were wrong. You look at the hurt that you've caused from the eyes of the hurt party. Their sense of right and trust has been violated. You might not think it's wrong to look at pornography. It ain't up to you. And it's, by the way, that's evil. That's wrong. Straight up wrong. But don't, you don't know how your spouse feels about that. And you've hurt them. You're like, oh, I'm just sorry. I won't do that no more. You need to go through the process and get that right. You need a reset. That's what these buttons are up here for. Reset buttons. We're going to reset this thing. 
about alcohol, drugs, cheating, online cheating. See, it's not just physical relationship no more. Now it's online cheating on the side, you know, side chicks. Somebody I text and, and I'm really into. I've got an online uh, a gaming personality that I'm in love with in the metaverse. It's wrong. It's evil. You need to get that right. Of course, now I've got to quantify this. I've got to explain what I mean. Of course, we're talking about within the bounds of what God says is right and wrong. Let me finish here. Someone who gets offended because you called the police when they were robbing the bank is not what the Bible's talking about. Oh, I'm offended. You called the police on me. Uh, yeah. You were robbing a bank. I don't care if you were my husband or my wife. You're trying to have me buy drugs for you. That's wrong. That's not what he's talking about here. Well, you come home in the wrong frame of mind, so I begin to beat holes in the wall. You said no to me, so I'm beating holes in the wall, ripping things off the wall, kicking things down. Hey, that's a problem. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, you offended me. That's why I did that. That person's not trying to get right. That person's trying to make an excuse. You've got a big problem, and you're getting ready to have a bigger fracture problem. Someone gets offended because... They're living in an alternate lifestyle. A lot of that going on today. You know, they get offended. You've offended me because I'm a woman stuck in a man's body. And you said, no, I'm a man. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says you're a man. <laughs> you got man chromosomes, you're a man. I don't care how your emotion feels about it. Well, I'm offended. We're not talking about that stuff. Because they're in violation of the book. There is right and wrong. <laughs> I already said the third one. <laughs> if your spouse gets offended, as you called the police after they started beating holes in the wall, kicking things down, no, that's wrong. Wrong. It should never be tolerated. That person has a problem it needs to be dealt with. They need therapy. They need help. And don't develop the Stockholm Syndrome. Well, I must not have made his macaroni and cheese right, you know. I've worked 12-hour shift. I've run after the kids. I've done all that. And he's mad. No. No. There's a deeper problem there. There's bitterness there. There's, there's resentment there. That thing's not going to be fixed. There should be a carefulness there. If they're truly sorry, there should be carefulness there. They're going to go out of their way not to, not to cause any more harm or damage. And then, look what you've got here. Back to verse 11. What carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourselves. This is the party that's done the hurting. What clearing of yourselves. What's that mean? It's a process. And they're going to literally say, what can I do to make this right? This is what the Bible is telling you. How to discern if the person you're dealing with is truly, really sincere in their heart. Not just telling you what they think you want to hear. They're going to begin to clear themselves. What do I got to do to make this right? You set the terms, I'll meet them. Your spouse will have 
a primary apology language. And you need to know which apology language they respond to best. Sam, I'm sorry. That's one of the apology languages. It's, it's godly sorrow. It's doubtful that that one's going to work if this has went on from time to time to time to time. The second one is admitting you're wrong. That's an apology language. Sometimes that's all your spouse wants to hear is to say, you hear out of your mouth, I was wrong. That's Jenny's primary apology language. She don't want to hear I'm sorry. She wants to hear me say, I was wrong. Does it for her. Fences mended. Yeah. Because she knows her second primary apology language is, now what do I got to do to make it up to you? And some of y'all have heard me that say that. Say, okay, this is going to cost me tomorrow, ain't it? Mm-hmm. You know what that is? That's her apology language. I've got to make amends with her. That's my spouse. That's my partner. That's my better half. And I've offended her. It didn't bother me. But it hurt her. Admit you're wrong. That's her primary. Number two, now you're going to take steps to make it up. Generally, it's a gift. She likes spontaneous gifts. Every once in a while, I'll do something like that. But some of y'all have seen that I purposely try to offend her because I like making up. That's what happens after you've been married over 30 years. I love to get a rile out of her, see some smoke come out of her ears. And then I get myself into trouble because I love trying to get myself back into the good graces. That, that takes humility. That takes humility. It's hard to say I'm wrong. I don't like admitting I'm wrong. But if you want to fix something, you're going to have to if you're the one in the wrong. The other apology language is a planned change. You, as the person who's offended, part of clearing yourself is you're going to have to say, this is the steps I'm taking to have this never happen again. If you're having a smartphone problem, your wife needs to have full access to that thing. Matter of fact, they got an app. You pay for everything else. You pay for your, you pay for your cable. You pay for your, your Disney Plus. You can pay $3.99 a month for an app, and your wife knows exactly where you've been. Because before you can clear the search history, it's already been sent to her. That's a planned change. We got an app on our phone. It's called a, a 360. It tracks you. I think everybody here, my kids and my wife, they, I say I go on a prayer drive. They know where I've been, what I've done. Like, how do you know this? We've been tracking you. It's called accountability. You know, oh, was you somewhere where you shouldn't have been? Well, if I'm not supposed to be at a Chinese buffet, yeah. <laughs> or fishing. <laughs> no, we did that in case I fell out the boat. <laughs> drowned at least know where the last ping location was or if my boat broke down <laughs> in german creek that's a long way from evergreen <laughs> somebody's gonna have to come get me help me <laughs> a planned change honey i know this is offended it's hurt you i didn't realize how much it has fractured us and fragmented us 
here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to need you to help me with that. I'm going to do this. This is the plan. We're going to put a plan together. And then I'm going to have some accountability to you. Communication. Plan changed. And then, of course, the fifth apology language is just simply asking for forgiveness. Saying I'm sorry is one thing. But looking at your spouse or the person you've offended say, can you please forgive me? This is what I'm going to do so this particular instant does not happen again. And I want to make it up to you. I want to win your love back. I want to win your trust back. This is what God's saying is true sorrow. He says and goes on later in this verse, there should be a vehement desire, a zeal, and revenge. That means you're, you're not just putting a plan together. Oh, here, here's my plan. There's my offer. No, you've got a desire. You've got a vehement desire. You've got a zeal. You're like, no, I want to make it right. I can't live without you. You're mine, and this is wrong. I've done wrong, and I've got to fix this because you're special to me. If there's no desire, and he says vehement desire, that means you crave. It's like an addiction. You crave to make it right. You put it in writing. Write it down. That gets everybody on the same page. Memories, people, don't remember things the same way. Memorialize it. Write it down. I'm trying to help you how to resolve it on your own. Biblically, sometimes you might have to get in a counselor, and that counselor is going to hold both of you accountable. Execute the plan. Don't just plan it. Execute it. You should not view whatever it was. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, unfaithfulness, anger, bitterness. You should begin to view that as the enemy and want revenge against it. You got a pornography problem? You should hate it now. It hurts your spouse. You should want vengeance on that thing. That's what he's talking about here. Not revenge on the person you offended. You're trying to mend that fracture. Or you're going to have a catastrophic failure. In conclusion, let me ask a question this morning. When you got saved, was it a godly sorrow? That led you to repentance, which led to salvation? Or was you just sorry after a worldly sort and you're back to doing the same old stuff you used to do? He said, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. That's why preachers that handle the word of God says 80% of the church members in today are lost. They said they were sorry. They've said a little prayer. But there was never no change in their life. You want to know why? It wasn't godly sorrow. It was worldly sorrow. It says, yeah, let me say that prayer so you can go on and get out of here. I got, I got eggs and ribs baking on the deal back here. I need you out of here. Okay, run me through this preacher. All right, see you at church Sunday. See you. I'll get baptized. That's not salvation, folks. That's not true belief. 
When you're godly sorrow and you get saved, you now know that you're on God's team and you're against the devil. You shouldn't be drinking the cup of Satan. Say, oh, I'm just a Christian. I'm a Christian. I got the love of Jesus. I know these guys are going to hell and they die, but I'm going up here. But I'm drinking with the devil right now. You're lost as the day is long. You were not sorrow after a godly sort. And if you were not sorrow, sorry after a godly sort, that led to repentance, changing your mind about how you were living, what you were doing. Don't sit there and tell me you think you've saved, been living with somebody 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Nah. No. You've never been sorrow after a godly sort. Somebody's just led you through a little sinner's prayer. That's what you've done. And you said, I believe. But you've believed up here. Oh, you know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know. But you don't know it here. You want to know how I know it's, I know that? Because the guidelines told me that. Say, you can't know my heart. I do. Because the Bible says it's a discerner of the intents and thoughts of the heart. And all you got to do is open this book up and say, now, are you lining up with the guideline? No. Then you need a reset. You need to come up here, hit one of these red buttons, and cut this thing and get it reset and get this thing right. And quit living the way you've been living and then trying to convince yourself that you think you got saved when you said a little simple prayer because you were emotionally distraught in the moment and your life's been a disaster. You don't have victory over nothing. You can't get along with nobody. And you just got one disaster, one disaster after another and you jump up and say, I'm sorry. Say a little prayer, cross myself a couple times. It's all okay. It's not okay. Because you are not sorry after a godly sort. And you're playing games. Now that's how you can tell. You say, well, boy, huh? I thought this was going to be warm and fuzzy. No. Generally, when you're dealing with the truth, it's not. But I don't want you standing at the judgment seat, the great white throne. And point your finger at me and says, Preacher, if you knew that, why didn't you ever say it? Because I'm going to say it. Because when I get in this pulpit, I don't have any friends. God's my friend. And I'm the mouthpiece that God has sent to tell you that you've offended God. And your lifestyle is offense to God. And it needs to be fixed. And some of you have got problems in your home and your homes are fragmented. And it's going to take both of you, not just one of you, both of you, using the Bible. That's what it means to be Baptist. A Baptist is a Biblicist. And they follow God's guideline. They don't make it up. Like right here is the formula. It's as simple as making biscuits. You get your recipe and you follow it. Until you memorize it. That's why we made frozen biscuits today. And they were good. I hope that makes sense to everybody. This is why things don't get fixed in your relationships. Because you're not doing it God's way. And all you're doing is prolonging the inevitable. And it's going to blow sky high. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the others. And it's going to hurt other people around you. You need to reset it. 
and you say, well, I'm trying to reset, I'm trying to, to put it together, then you need to make sure if there's a doubt in your heart, how do I know they're sincere? I get that question so much. How do I know if they're sincere right here? I've given you the answer. That's the steps. That's the steps. If they can't say, I'm sorry, admit they're wrong. And then they're going to take steps. And they've not asked you, what's it going to take for me to make it up to you? To earn your love back. To earn your trust. I'm going to be there for you. It's not been sincere. And then they should have a vehement desire. That's an urgent desire. Every day, they're going to be there for you. They're going to do what they said they were going to do to make it up and to win your love and trust back. To earn it. You can't just pretend like nothing ever happened. It don't work that way. It's an offense. And it needs to be gotten right. And running up 500 miles or leaving is not going to fix the problem. You've got to fix the problem in the present and in the moment. You don't reconcile something 500 miles away. That's how you know it's right and sincere. And it'll last. Well, what happens if there's a relapse? There can be. We're humans. (laughs) The Lord said, as long as they're going through them steps... That's the best you can tell that their heart is sincere. And that's right. They might disappoint you again. But he says, then you forgive them again. And you forgive them again. As long as they're sincere. I got news for you. Someone's truly godly sincere. God's going to move into that thing. He's going to give you the strength to overcome it. And you're going to be better for it. Because here's something else. Generally, when two pieces of metal break and you weld it together, it never breaks again in the weld. It might fracture somewhere else, but it won't ever crack there again. Now, I hope that's helped. Follow the book. I like that old song. I'm using my Bible as a roadmap. Let's all stand this morning.